All right, we're continuing in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6. If you need a Bible, I think there's some Bibles in the back. Uh, in the front room, you can go grab one off the table. Matthew 6. And today we're going to take verses 16 through 18. Where Jesus says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Uh, I think the reason why the other pastors gave me this section is because I'm, a, I'm an expert at fasting. Uh, I, I fast all the time. Um, which is a total joke, you may laugh. I, 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 this is not one of those things I'm an expert at. It just happened to fall on me, and I thought that that was kind of where the joke was, was that, uh, that this text fell on my week. Um, I, I'm not an expert at fasting. Um, I'm not one who has intentionally, I'm going to be completely honest with you, you're going to be like, you're a pastor. I have never intentionally fasted in my life. I have fasted, but I will admit to you right up front, this is not something that I have gone like, Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do, I'm I'm do this for God. It's something, quite frankly, that I've never um, completely understood. And I want to say kind of because I'm a Gentile that I've never completely understood this because this is a very Jewish thing. We're going to find this out. Um, but um, here it is. And so having said that, I want to remind us of this first and foremost. And I think you guys all know this, but I'll remind you again, remind myself. When we come to these texts, especially the Sermon on the Mount, there are layers in the exposition. There are layers in the text. And so when we went through chapter 5, the primary point of what Jesus was bringing across um, was not the subject of anger, the subject of lust. The su that was not the primary layer, right, even though those were the subjects. The primary point was we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's, that's the top layer of chapter 5. Okay. The section we've been in in six, it has subjects too, right? Giving to the needy, um, fasting uh, today, prayer last week. Those subjects are valid, but they are not the primary layer. The point is, don't be show-offs as Christians. That's the top layer. Okay, And I'm saying that so that you will understand, again, this is not like just a super comprehensive like sermon you're going to get today on fasting, even though um, we're going to dig into it a little bit. I think it's helpful for us to ha have some context and know a little bit about what was going on at that time. But the primary layer of this text is don't be show-offs with your religion, right? So um, having said that, I would say um, in my 30 or so years of, of being in the church, various local churches, that there's a pretty widely accepted, established um, pool or understanding of big sins, big sins that Christians agree upon, that Christians focus on, uh, that Christians speak loudly against and strongly against. So like 
Top one would be, we would all agree, probably like homosexuality. Like number one, like we, we, we don't have a shortage of words, right, when, toward that sin. Like we speak pretty loud about that. We put it up at the top. Uh, we make it a big deal, same-sex attraction, right? Uh, abortion has been a big one. And again, I'm not saying these aren't big things. They are. I'm just saying these seem, tend to be the ones that we really focus on. Right. And so, like, especially recently with everything that's gone on, like, like life matters. And nobody knows that more uh, than the one who has been given life by Christ and knows the one now who has given life, which is God. And so, yeah, we champion this and we see the horrors and and the wickedness of um, abortion and we make that a big one. That's one that we focus on. It's one that we might speak louder um, against than others. Um, uh, Drug addiction could be one of them where we could look at those guys. Um, I think most Christians, if they're honest, would correlate drug addiction to like witchcraft. <laughs> um, I know as a guy that did drugs uh, at a young age for years, uh, that that's exactly what it was. Um, it was witchcraft. <laughs> it was, it was pharmacia. Uh, there was, uh, it, it was being under the control of something emotionally that's counterfeit, <laughs> that's false, that's creating false emotions, false thoughts, false desires. Like that's what that is, right? It's, it's, and I think we can look at that one and go, yeah, that, that, that's a big one. Sexual immorality, especially the perversions and, and, and the, the full on blowouts of uh, sexual immorality, whether it's pornography, uh, addiction or rape or pedophilia. I think, I think the church is really good at looking at those things and, and just going like, hell's gonna burn hotter for these people. Right? And then there's this, there's this other sin um, that's considered big in our Bibles. <laughs> the, our Bibles actually speak a lot about this sin. Um, and the church is really, really, really silent about it. And it's called gluttony. It's our idolatry toward food, right? The way that we view that. Um, gluttony simply, uh, the definition simply means habitual greed or excess in eating. So it's the misuse, even idolatry of food, which we, we don't, especially as Americans, tend to think much about. Like, that's what Americans do. <laughs> you know what I mean? We love our food. Um, it's kind of like our favorite pastime, like baseball. You know, so even better yet, like, let's go to a baseball game and have food. You know, nachos. And, and uh, it, it's, it's kind of our thing. So we, we really don't think about it. And, and, and contrary to what we may think, gluttony doesn't care what your weight is. It does not care what your weight is. It's determined. It's not determined by whether you weigh 400 or 300 or 200 or 100 pounds. That has nothing to do with, with gluttony. It only cares about how we view food, no matter what our weight is, how we view food. It has to do with a heart posture towards food that puts food in the place of God, just like anything else that we might find on our, our sin lists, right? And so it, it, it's that which places food as the primary object of satisfaction or fulfillment or gratification at any given time over and above the one who gave us food, right? So, so what we're talking about really, what it comes down to is, is again, the worship of the gift over the gift giver, which, which I don't know about you, but like 
This is a huge problem for me continually in my life, in every area of my life. When I get something good, it's so easy for me um, to throw myself at that thing with my heart rather than the one who gave me that, that thing. It's so, e- it's so easy to do. And this is, this is the same case with our, with our, our food. It's easy for us to ignore in our lives the abuses and the sinfulness of food worship because it's necessary, right? Like, like we kind of need it to live, like God designed it that way. We need food in order to continue living. Um, we don't need intimate physical relations with another person like sex in order to live. We don't need to shoot heroin, even though it will tell you you do in order to live, but we do need to eat. We need to eat in order to live. So, so we eat and we don't really question very much, you know, how we view it or do it. Now, I'm not going to get into the weeds any farther on gluttony, um, because this is not the text. The text is not about gluttony, right? Um, But since we're talking about a subject that directly has to do with denying ourselves food, I thought I'd shoot an arrow over the wall. Just for your consideration, do with it what you want. Okay. Um, how many sermons have you guys heard in your lifetime on gluttony? Yeah, me neither. Um, fasting. What is fasting? Uh, fasting comes from the Hebrew word som, which means to abstain from food. Som is S-O-M. To abstain from food is what it means. So when it was implemented by God for religious purposes, does anybody know where the actual command, the only command explicitly that's given for fasting comes from? It comes from Leviticus. And in Leviticus, from God to Moses, concerning uh, how the Israelites are to do uh, this thing we call Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. Um, that was, that's where it's explicitly commanded. Um, and so it was kind of this, this, obviously this religious purpose to the children of Israel back in the day. However, you can find, um, other examples in your scriptures of abstaining from certain things, even other than food. It's not called a fast. Fast is specifically for food. But there are other um, examples that we see in our Bibles where in, uh, in abstaining from something for the purpose of committing yourself more fully to God, and that would be considered a, a type of fast. For instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the first seven verses, we have Paul speaking to a husband and a wife about their sexual relations to each other in that marriage. That's what it's talking about, their conjugal rights so to speak, right? And he goes to the woman and he says, your body's not your own, it's his, he owns it. He's speaking sexually, so you, you need to allow him to, to use your body in a way that, um, that he desires to. And, and likewise, that the man's body's no longer his own, but it belongs to her. But then he, he goes on to say, but, but, but if you guys agree for a time to commit yourselves to prayer over something, then you can... He doesn't say fast, but he says, then you can cease from the activity of sexual relations. But he says, but only for a limited time. Don't let it go long because Satan then will come into the middle of that marriage. So like Paul actually, like our Bibles actually speak to things that we act like it doesn't. 
Like these are serious things and, and they're personal things and they're intimate things. And like the Bible like talks about these things. Like, like they knew back then that if, 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 if that sexual relation within the, the marriage wasn't a healthy one that was active, that, that there's temptation, that there's challenge that's going to come in, that Satan's going to like get a foothold in there. But the point is that there we have an example of a sexual fast for the purpose of seeking God, but it's not called a fast. And you can find other examples of that that don't directly have to do with food, but other activities or other things uh, in, our script, uh, in our scriptures. But the word fast itself, when it's used in our Bible, specifically speaks to the abstaining from food. So, like, what do we see fasting used for, okay, in our Bibles? What's it used for? Like, what does it do? Why do we do it? type of thing. Uh, this, again, is not exhaustive, but I, list, I listed four things, okay? One, fasting was used for depth of feeling, depth of emotion during times of distress or grief or mourning. Like, I, I would even say that this is probably most, the most common way that we see this used throughout our Old Testaments. We see uh, this in Samuel, for, for example, 1 Samuel 31, where the Philistines came against the Israelites, and uh, they just slaughtered them. They ended up just completely <clears throat> uh, having their way with them in that battle. And they ended up killing Saul, who was the king at the time. So they kill the king of Israel, the Philistines, and they kill his three sons, right? And it was just, a, it was just an absolute slaughter. And then they just push Israel back. Israel retreats. Philistines win the battle. So then when the dust settles... The Israelites send guys back out to recover the bodies of their, of their king and his children. And they bring them back, and they burn them, and they bury them, and everybody goes into a fast for seven days, right? And they're in the dirt, and they're sprinkling ash on their heads, and all those things that we think of, sackcloth and ashes, when you're in a state of grieving or mourning, that's what they, what they did. Um, and so we see the entire remaining camp of Israel fasting for a week uh, as a result of losing their king and his three sons. So um, you can also find other examples of fasting where death was not necessarily involved, but simply like times of trouble and, dis and distress, you know, like even what David was going through much of the time when he was uh, on the run. Um, and so this is also a, a valid time for fasting, whether it be personal or a national concern even. So um, uh, fasting could be a sign of, uh, number two, repentance. We see this in 1 Kings chapter 21. We see it in Joel 2. We see it in Jonah 3. This one's my favorite, uh, where Jonah finally makes it to Nineveh, right? Willingly, right? No. Uh, he finally makes it to Nineveh, and he's like, God, I don't want to, like, save these people, you know what I mean? And he finally does what God tells him, so he goes into the city, and he proclaims the word that God gave him for those people, which was, in 40 days from now, you're going to come to nothing. In 40 days from now, you're going to be overtaken, by, and you will cease to exist. And what do they do? They believed the message. They believed God. They repented. And they, they like activated. They responded to that repentance by calling for a citywide fast. Including, here's the weird part, the livestock. Like it's really weird, but it, it, makes, it makes sure that we know in the text that it wasn't just the people that fasted. But he's like, like even, even your cattle, like give them nothing for seven days. Which by the way, 
little trivia for you. If you go, if you've ever wondered about the very last sentence in the book of Jonah that says that God saved Nineveh uh, and much cattle, it looks really weird. It's a really weird, but that's what it was, was the, the cattle was their, no pun intended, bread and butter. Like that was their livelihood there. It was a big deal that they had cattle and that their cattle was healthy and their cattle was flourishing. And so that's added there as a result of God not judging that place, right? Super interesting, but they went into a, a, a fast there. So it can, fasting could be a sign of repentance. Fasting could be a sign of cleansing. I already mentioned to this uh, or spoke to this. I'll, I'll do it again. The Day of Atonement, this is where it actually comes from. Yom Kippur is where fasting was actually um, uh, commanded to the people of God. Leviticus chapter 16, God gives Moses strict, detailed instructions about how these people are to approach this time of the year. And one of the instructions was that uh, in the seventh month, on the 10th day of that month, that they would fast. And, that, and, and it wasn't just food, it was more than food, but that they would not eat, you know, basically. And that was basically a sign of God cleansing them, um, purging them of their sins, as on that day, the sins went from the priest onto the goat, and that goat went out into the wilderness, and these, these people didn't eat that day while that was going down. It, it, was a, it, was, it was a sign of cleansing. The final one, some of you are like, you ever going to get to the text? Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Um, the final and most important one, I believe, in looking at this, the, 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 the most important information I think that we have concerning fasting and what it's for is actually found in a place that I think might be considered obscure. Um, but I believe it's the most clear or revealing information that we have on it. And if you want to turn a couple pages to the right, to Matthew chapter 9, um, we can peek at it real quick. Matthew chapter 9. And uh, we're not going to get crazy on this because we're coming up on this text, right? Like someone's going to be preaching on this in uh, about five years when we get there. So um, just, just hold out. We're not going to go nuts on it. But um, check this out. Verse 14, we have the disciples of John the Baptist, the guys who are following John the Baptist, come to Jesus. And they say this, the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees, if you go to Luke's account of this, it says the follower, the, the disciples of the Pharisees, okay? So the followers of John the Baptist, as well as the followers of the Pharisees, why do we all fast but your disciples do not. And Jesus said to them, of course a parable. Why wouldn't it be? Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Do you guys see what he's saying there? Even though it's a parable, there's a pretty clear understanding that we can have as a result of the parable that he uses as to why they're not fasting now, and even a little bit of insight on what fasting is for, right? Um, what do we do when everybody is together and everybody is well? We feast as human beings. That's what we do. We feast. Uh, have you ever noticed how food goes really well with joyous occasions, with celebratory occasions, whether it's a wedding or whether it's a graduation or whether it's like a holiday where the family gets together 
under one roof, right? It seems so natural and so right um, for us to eat. We, we feast because we're all together. It's an appropriate, like, function to eat. And have you ever noticed how food does not go well with occasions of tragedy or loss or separation? Separation, right? It doesn't go well. And I don't know what you say to yourself, but when I'm like... I actually physically get sick to my stomach, right, when something really difficult is going on in my life. When I lose somebody in my life or I'm separated from somebody that I'm longing for that I don't want to be separated from, um, like I'll even say that, like I, I feel sick, you know what I mean? Or I'm not hungry, right? Um, uh, I don't even want to think about food at those times. I don't want to think about them food in those moments. Like we, I know that I need in those moments something more than what that food can try to give me, right? And, and this is really what Jesus is saying here. This is what he's talking about. A dude named Robert Hawker says this, the Bible gives us both fasts and festivals. One is to mortify the body. One is to gratify the body. And there is a season for each. There is a time for each. And Jesus is saying to us here, he's saying to these guys asking them the question here, my disciples have no reason to cease from food because I am with them. But when I go, they will. So what does this mean? It means that primarily, I, I would even say for us as disciples of Jesus, who are actually desiring and longing for Jesus, that this is what fasting can look like for us. I don't know about you, but there's times when, 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 when Maranatha is all that I can get out. It's like, Lord, come quickly. There's times when, when um, th there's nothing that I want to see anymore in this life. I want to see him. I want to be with him. I want to be in his presence. I want to see his face. I want to be comforted by him. Like I, I, I want to be um, in his midst. And that's really what fasting becomes for the disciples of Jesus now and the church as we wait for his return, is that longing that we have, that desire that we have to be with him is extremely valid in fasting, okay? And this is, this is really what he's saying his disciples will be doing and how they'll be, why they'll be doing it, I guess I should say. Um, so interesting text. All that to say when we speak of fasting, where it comes from, what it was uh, for, uh, it's important to note that to the Jew, to the children of Israel, which would include John the Baptist's disciples, that's who they were, uh, the Pharisees' disciples, like Luke talks about, that's who they were, and even Jesus' disciples, that's who they were. They were, they were all Jews. Uh, fasting held significant value. It was a very Jewish thing, tradition, part of life. We can also conclude, because of some of its uses, Jewish or not, that it is beneficial for all people that look to God at all times, like we just looked at. So, though, though fasting is not an explicit command to the church anywhere, check this, this is really weird, I didn't know this, anywhere in the epistles, it's not talked about or commanded, um, but we do see enough language, whether it's from Jesus, uh, and two, there's two places actually in the book of Acts, chapter 13, chapter 14, where the church comes together and fasts um, collectively over a couple things that were going on in the church and decisions that needed to be made and, and um, cities that needed to be won for Christ. So we see the church practicing that. So we know that it's, it's, it's beneficial to us. And, and again, this is not at all comprehensive, obviously. So if you guys are more interested in this, 
You'll be satisfied by just running into the Bible and having fun. You'll be rewarded. Having said all that, let's get to the text, verse 16. And um, we're not going to spend a lot on this. I mean, this text, if you haven't noticed, is pretty straightforward. What's being said isn't going to take a lot of gymnastics. Like it just says what it just says what it says, right? So verse 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and their, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. First of all, who are the hypocrites? And I, I really don't think that you and I have to, have to reach too far uh, to guess. Uh, if you're familiar with the rest of the book of Matthew, if you're familiar with other things that have come, that come out of Jesus' mouth during his earthly ministry, we, we pretty much have these guys pinned. Um, if you specifically go to Matthew chapter 23, uh, there will be no question about who uh, he puts into this category and who he's talking about. Because in that chapter is where we have the famous seven woes that Jesus presents, and it gets nasty. If you're not familiar with that, like, it's hard to read. Um, there's a lot of times, uh, there's not a lot of times, I should say, where, where, where I think I look at what Jesus is saying, um, and, it, and it seems like he's, like he's really angry or had an angry tone. But this is one of those places where I, where I think uh, he was straight up not holding back. Like he was straight up um, in his righteous anger, um, letting loose on these guys. And so there's seven woes that he pronounces in that verse against the religious leaders, okay? Each woe starts off like this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, comma, hypocrites. Every single time, seven times. Um, and this isn't just found there, but I think this is, this is like the nail in the coffin chapter where it's like, okay, the, the, like, that was his nickname for them. <laughs> they, they, they were the hypocrites. And I think his disciples and the people that knew Jesus' teaching knew who he was talking about too. So this is, this is more than likely who's being spoken of here, like the hypocrites do. They were probably the ones that were fasting in this way that he's saying not to fast. And Jesus is saying, like, don't be like them. Like, you know those guys I'm talking about? You've seen them. You see how they do this? Don't be like them. Don't be like them. Why? Well, because they're merely showing off. They're just showing off. That's all, that's all they're doing. They, they fast so that you can see them. That's what Jesus is saying. They fast so that you can see them. It was, it was all about them. It was done by them, for them, so that they would be seen by others to appear to be spiritual, religious, and godly. Right? But they weren't being spiritual, religious, and godly before the only one that mattered, which is God. <laughs> right? And Jesus assures us that that appearance of godliness to other men alone would be their reward. Like, that's what they get for doing what they've done. Right? Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. What reward is that? Impressing other men. That's the reward. And it ain't a great one. So to be, to be seen by others was their reward, nothing else. How would they do this? Uh, by enhancing, Jesus tells us here, visually, physically, the effects of their not eating so that everyone would go, you're so awesome. It's so cool that you're doing that. You know what I mean? Or, or they would say like, oh, you poor thing. You must be just going through it right now. You know? Or, or like, I wish I could be like you. Or, man, you really love God. You really love God. Or, God must really love you. 
for doing what you're doing. Like, it, like it's like all of the above, like you can just continue to, to take that thought. Um, all of it's going like this, you know, that's, that, that's, the, whole, that's the whole point. And Jesus says they, they, they look gloomy and they disfigured their, their faces, which is kind of a funny way to say it um, uh, to us, you know. So I, I think of like someone who's like, you know, punching themselves in the face so they could look like they got beat up. Or um, remember when you were a kid, you used to have people that could flip their eyelids up and they would look like a zombie or something like, I don't know. For some reason, my brain goes there like they're walking around doing these stupid, which is not what they were doing. I don't think they were probably flipping their eyelids up. Um, I don't think that has anything to do with not eating. Uh, what commonly went along with fasting, like I said earlier, is, is um, getting low, like physically, in posture. A lot of these dudes would lay in the dirt when they would fast, face down. Okay? And then the other, the other thing that was common was to sprinkle your head with ash. This is probably what was going on here, is the, the outward effects of the act of fasting, the things that you did with fasting, would have been the visual indicators that you were fasting. And instead of these dudes laying in the dirt and showering in ash and then going home and cleaning up before they go into public, they were just wearing it. Like they were just wearing it around so that every single person, it was just a billboard saying, guess what I'm doing, right? That's more than likely what we were talking about. Uh, It could be, of course, if it was a longer fast, most fast at this time from what I understood, uh, weren't very long. They were usually like a one-day fast, sometimes twice a week for the most religious person, Monday and Thursdays. I know that sounds weird. Don't, I didn't get too far into it. Uh, but but if, if someone was fasting for a long period of time, you'd probably have sunken eyes. You know what I mean? Like you you'd probably wouldn't be looking really good. So that could be part of it too. But it's pro- probably had to do more with the dirt and the ass that Jesus is um, referring to here. Um. Here's the thing, right? if we're just going to get down to like the top layer. Um, what this is, ultimately, is yet another example slash reminder that you and I can take good things, even God things, and make them bad things. Over and over again. Good things that are God things and make them bad things. We can take the eating of food, which is a good thing that God has given us, and make it a bad thing, not because it's bad, but because we are. And we can take the exercise of abstaining from food, which can be a good thing for us, and a God thing, and make it a bad thing, not because it is, but because we are, in both instances. We, we can make fasting a bad thing, just like Before it, what you saw last week, we can make praying a bad thing. Just like before it, we can make giving to the needy a bad thing. This is the top layer of the exposition of Jesus' point here. This is why he was such a good teacher. Just so you know, this is what good teachers do. When they want to make a point, they will drive that point into three, four, five examples. Multiple examples so that you get the full understanding, the consistency of the point being made. Jesus does this over and over again. When we get to parables, that's exactly what he's going to do. He's going to take one thing is the point through those six, seven different parables that he teaches. He's teaching different angles, different ways into that truth so that we learn it well. And he's kind of he's doing this here. 
But the bottom line is we can take giving to the needy, which is a rad thing. We can take praying, which is a good thing. We can take fasting, which is a good thing. And we can ruin them all, every single one of them, when we make them an us thing, when we make them about us, right? Even our best works are tainted. Some of you may be like, yeah, I don't, I don't get down with that. I, I do. Like, I just know it to be true. Like, I, like, if I'm honest with, like, what goes in my heart, when I, when I go to do good things, even as a pastor, right, even as a spiritual leader, and those things that I walk in, um, I can see motives go on back behind the scenes that just don't belong there. And I don't know what to do about it. Like, like even, even our best works are tainted. There was a guy that said once, and I, I, this, this quote stuck with me, but I can't remember who said it. Um, Jesus saw my best works, and then he died for them. Like, I, like, I can get down with that. Like, like, Jesus saw the best, the best in me, and then he went to the cross. That's, that's pretty crazy to think about. And this is, really what, this is really what we're talking about here. This is really what Jesus is revealing here. And I found myself doing this just last week if I'm to go ahead and just deface myself a little bit more. Because I want you guys to know that, like I think I've said this before, you guys have pastors here that like when we go to these texts that we're going to be preaching on, we really, really, really say me first. Like, like, like we really believe that everything that that we're studying, that we're looking at, like we need to pass through that gate first. We need to examine ourselves by these things first. And so um, I, I hope you know that you have that here, that you've got, you've got guys that don't think there's something they're not. Like, like we believe in an us first um, study habit, <laughs> sermon habit. And, um, and so I'm going through this text last week and I was, I was charged, uh, I wasn't charged, um, I had the privilege, there it is right there, I had the privilege to make a trip to Portland last Friday to visit a dude that's dying, okay? So we have a guy up in our Three Rivers. He's been coming for a long time. He's a good brother, a friend of mine, um, and he goes to the, the Three Rivers location, and his, his dad is living in Portland. He's dying like, like, like any day he can go, okay? And so he's on dialysis, but he's at home, and uh, he asked me one day, he said, is there any way that you can, that you can go and, like, see this guy? before he, he dies. And, and I'm like, yeah, man, like, like, I'd love to. I'll go, I'll see this guy. And so last Friday I got up at really, I won't tell you, really early in the morning to get over there in time because I had to be there by a certain time. And the whole thing's a mess. So the more that I find out about this thing, not only is this a, a dying, crabby um, God hater, right? But, but the, the mom is too. And he's like, I get over there and he calls and he's like, where you're at? Where are you at? And I'm like, I'm in Gresham. Like, I'll probably be there in like a half hour. And he goes, well, I better call her first because I don't know if she's going to let you in. It's like, dude, like we've been planning this for, for like months. So this is, how, this is how they are, is like they're these kind of people. So they're not just people that don't know the Lord. They're people that like hate people. And I'm thinking, and I'm thinking like, oh, this just gets better and better. You know what I mean? Like, this is so cool. And by the time we, we finally get there and... Um, Pastor Brent ended up going with me, which was cool because I didn't have to do the whole drive myself. We stop at the bottom of the driveway, and I'm just nervous at this point. I'm just like, what am I doing here? Like, I'm, they, they don't know me. I don't know them. I'm a stranger. I'm going to come up to their house to talk about the gospel, you know, in like 20 minutes. Like, the whole thing was just ridiculous, and we're, and we're praying. But all I'm thinking to myself, ultimately, is how rad would this be if I go in there and save the day? Like, so like seriously. 
I, I, I'm, I'm thinking like, how, how awesome would it be if I go into this stinking dungeon with these God haters and just blow everybody's minds by them like falling down and going, what must I do to be saved? You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm thinking of me. I'm thinking of this thing that I'm doing. You know, it's like, a, you guys seen Christmas Story? Like a Christmas story, if you haven't, repent. It's one of the best, one of the best Christmas ones there are, right? And there's that point where you got, uh, you got Ralphie uh, writes a theme, and he's imagining that his theme just blows the teacher away and the class away to where, like, they throw him on their shoulders, and they're just, like, championing him. That's what I'm seeing. That's what I'm seeing with me going over, going into this house, and making a difference in these people's lives. And it wasn't like that. You know, that's like how wicked I am. Like, that's how, like, horrible I am. That's, that's like what it looks like behind the curtain to, like, what goes on in the thoughts and the intentions of my heart. Like, I love me. Like, I'm, like, one of my biggest fans. And, and God knows that. God sees that. And um, what, I'm, what I'm realizing as I'm going through this last week and I'm looking at my heart in this is that it's, it, it's, it's sickening how easy it is for me to read the Gospels, like here where Jesus picks on and he calls out the religious leaders, he calls out the Pharisees, the hypocrites, and I think to myself, what a bunch of idiots. Like, I'm glad I'm not one of them, right? Like, like, like in Matthew 23, the, the woes, it's like, get them, Jesus. Seriously, when I'm reading that, it's like, get them. Like, get them. And it's so easy for me to not realize that I am one. I am one. That's me. It's so easy for me to read Matthew 23 where he rails on these guys, the woes of disgust, and I'm like, get them, and not realize he's talking to me. The truth is that much of the time, even still, I love to be seen as the Savior, like this instance last Friday, rather, rather than pointing to the Savior. Like, like, I like the idea of being the Savior. I'm so ashamed by it. I'm so troubled by it, but it is true. So once again, finding this in me as a reality, what do I do? Like, where do I go? Where can I find relief and exoneration and absolution from my absolute miserableness? And it is Christ. I go to him. We seek refuge in the one who performed all good things in the present, or, or sorry, in the purest of ways, and that is Jesus. Once again, we need the imputation, which just means gifting. We need, gift, we need him to give us what he did. We need him to gift that to us. We need the imputation of the ideal action from the one who has performed it. It is Christ. It is him. Have we ever seen Jesus do this right? <laughs> you know what I mean? With fasting? Like, like, I don't know if you can remember two months back, but in chapter four, which was probably like two months ago, like he goes into the wilderness, right? Like to inaugurate his, ministry, his public ministry, his earthly ministry, and, and he doesn't eat for 40 days in this place, right? And he goes out there, and it's interesting, first of all, where he goes. He goes to the wilderness, meaning that he's out in the middle of nowhere where nobody is. Like nobody, nobody's out there. 
He goes where no one is. And you think, like, like who saw this? You know? Like, there were, no, there were no helicopters flying overhead. There were no drones with GoPros strapped to them, you know, so that people could watch this on YouTube later when it gets posted, right? Like, like there, were, there was no one in the bleachers cheering when Satan came to him and said, oh, food would sure be good right now, wouldn't it? You know what I mean? Like, there was no one there to cheer him on. There was no public ceremony afterward or trophy that, that he was presented with by anybody. No parades. There was an audience of one, the Father. The Father was there and the Father saw it. That's who Jesus did this for. He did not do it because men were watching. He did it because the Father was watching. And therein is the top layer of our lesson in chapter 6. Your father is watching. He is real. He is near. He sees all. No one matters more than him. No one matters more than him. Because of that, Jesus says here in verse 17, clean up. Like clean yourself up when you fast. Wash your face. Put some hair product in your hair. Go get some hair jelly. One with a pleasant smell. Right? Like comb it. Run a comb through it. Like, make yourself presentable like you would any other day that you go into public. Like, like, go do that. Stop doing the look at me thing. Stop showing off. There's someone more important to impress. There's someone more important to please. There's someone more important to gain. And it ain't man. It ain't man. Which brings us to God's reward as opposed to the reward that these guys got. Verse 18 your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus says that your father who sees in secret will reward you. And what is it? What is the reward that God gives to us as a result of doing this to him? He is. He's the reward. Being near to him is the reward. More of him, more of him is the reward. I don't care for what reason people are fasting. This is the common denominator in all of it. More of him. More of him. Regardless of the reason that we may fast. An increase of him in our lives. The name of the game, guys, whether it's in giving to the needy or whether it's in prayer, or whether it's in fasting, is more of him, less of us. More of him, less of us. Right? It's interesting to, to hear people talk about heaven and what their emphasis is on heaven. <laughs> like what's so appealing about heaven. The, the ultimate selling point of the kingdom of heaven is that it's not like some kind of eternal candy land. You know what I mean? Which is a lot of times what, what people are, are, are thinking. They're just imagining like their best, greatest um, uh, most desirable euphoria and saying like, that's what heaven's going to be like, right? That's the selling point for heaven. No, the, the selling point is him. Like, like heaven matters because he's going to be there. Like he's what makes heaven, heaven. And, 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 and if, if, if you're wanting to go to heaven for, for some other reason than that, then like maybe you won't see it. Like, I don't know. Like, he's the prize. 
He's the prize. He will be there. That's the selling point for those who are being saved. It is him. And fasting in this time when we wait and we long to see our Lord is is just a really small way, guys, that you and I are able to inch closer as we wait and get more of him. Here's the irony. We're going to do communion now, which is the opposite of fasting. <laughs> because when Jesus left, he, like, he instituted this other thing. This one is an explicit command that you and I eat. But again, it's not, it's not about the food, right? If it was, we wouldn't have these little cups and this little thing that are ridiculously unsatisfying, right? But it's, it's not about our bellies. It's about what these things signify, which is the reason why you and I are are regarded as holy, righteous, saved, rather than hypocrites. Jesus is the difference, and his body and his blood is the difference. And that's what we have to celebrate over today. Lord God, thank you so much for uh, this text. Um, Thank you for, again, sharing the hard things that are... Um, transformative things. Thank you for shooting straight with us. Thank you for loving us enough um, that your word comes like a sword to bring us life. And that's exactly what we celebrate right now as we come to this table is the reality of how we have life in you. We acknowledge you, our great Jesus, to have accomplished everything that needed accomplishing on our behalf and then gifting it to us. We receive it now in the juice, we receive it now in the bread, and we praise your name for it. Amen.